Hi, welcome to the podcast where we do it for the love of it. I'm Kevin. And I'm Charles, and this is a sports podcast covering the best events and stories from across the global competitive landscape. Okay, we're going to start it off with your favorite thing, cycling, go. And this is definitely the best story from the competitive landscape this week. World Championships, end of the season. Going to cover the four elite races, and we're going to start off with the women's time trial. Where we saw Dutch domination all year long, particularly with Annemiek van Vluten, and that just kept rolling on. That don't surprise me at all. She did do exactly what we thought she would do, and that's dominate. Yeah, it wasn't quite uh, the amazing performance we saw in the Giro Rosa. She was just a little bit ahead of her compatriot Anna van der Breggen. But we've seen it all year long. There was no reason to expect anything different. She's clearly the best time trialist in the world right now. We almost saw a Canadian break up the sweep. Leah Kirchman was... Uh, Ellen Van Dyke... Leah Kirchman went first. Ellen Van Dyke closed in. And you kept seeing the time gaps go. It was 15 second gap between them. Then it was 12 second. 8 second. And then finally there was a 5 second lead for Leah Kirchman. But Ellen Van Dyke had an amazing last 3 kilometers to take 6 seconds back. And end up completing the Dutch sweep. Hey, there we They're go. Just the best, the best in the world right now. There is no competition. So, what does that mean? Like, since they swept it, like, uh, first, second, and third were all Dutch. Um, Annemiek van Vluten in first, and Van der Breggen came in second. They were both quite a bit ahead. Yeah. Ellen van Dyke was just ahead of Leah Kirchman in third place, and then just for extra, extra kick. The Dutch woman also finished in sixth place. I'm forgetting her name right now. Holy. So dominance is what we're saying. Absolutely, yeah. Speaking of dominance, in the men's time trial, there wasn't a country dominance. There was just a single rider dominance. Rowan Dennis, as predicted here, upset Tom Dumoulin, but not only upset him, won by a minute and 21 seconds, which is a massive margin in a world championship time trial. So exactly what that does that mean? So if he won that time trial by so much, what does that mean moving forward? Just it's just a matter. Of, I mean, win a win is a win is a win. Yeah. But uh, he gets to wear the rainbow rainbow bands next year. He gets the gold medal. He gets all the glory. Oh, okay. But when what we were expecting was maybe if Dennis competed closely, we were expecting you know, ten seconds. Ron, that was what Ron Dennis said. He thought he was going to be within ten seconds of Dumoulin, and he thought he could beat him. But even he thought he would only get a little bit and ended up winning by a buck twenty-one. As comparison, uh, Victor Campenarts, who finished in third place, was less than one second behind Tom Dumoulin okay, <laughs> in so. the battle for second for this bronze and silver medals. So it was a complete, like, no, absolutely no competition. Here we go, holy. Okay, so what uh, we're moving forward on here, uh, women's road race. Yes, I think as far as a spectacle goes, the road races are always much more exciting, much more up in the air. This one started with about 94k to go is when the action really started, when Annemiek van Vluten crashed, went down with a few other riders. And she was probably the favorite for the road race as well as the time trial. She's been absolutely spectacular all year long. And the crash certainly hurt her, but she was able to get back in the group and for a while we didn't think much of it. And... In this race, we already spoke about the incredible strength of the Dutch women's team. Yeah. So the only way a woman 
a non-Dutch woman was going to win this race is you basically had to get every single person else compete. You got, it's got to be 192 against four. Okay. And it seemed like for a little bit that it was working. Corin Rivera, an American rider, attacked, and it was an incredible attack. She stayed out from two, three laps much longer than anyone expected and really forced the Dutch to chase. The only problem is, for reasons I can't quite explain, the Italians also chased, which made it hard on the Italians and easier on the Dutch because they were getting help from another country. Yes. And with the Dutch strength, it really, it, like I said, it had to be four against the world because that's the only way you were going to beat the incredible <laughs> strength of the Dutch women. And what happened is with about 44k to go, Annemiek van Gluten, coming off from the crash, attacked. It's a very strong attack. But what we learned after the race is it turns out Van Bluten fractured her knee bone oh, wow. on that crash. So even just to be able to attack was amazing. But she wasn't able to stay away, but it ended up being just perfect tactics by the Dutch because as soon as she was caught, Anna van der Breggen attacked with 42k to go, which is incredible length to try to go solo. She caught up, she briefly caught up to a group with Amanda Spratt. And the two of them chased for a while, but Spratt couldn't keep up with Van Vluten. And almost 40Ks, Van der Breggen was all by herself. And you gotta, you gotta feel really happy for Van der Breggen. Her Palmares is second to none in the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah, except for Marianne Voss, I don't think anyone riding right now has a more impressive career. But she had never been able to get the rainbow bands. So you got to feel incredibly happy for her that she was able to win it in such an impressive fashion. Mm -hmm. She ended up winning by about 3 minutes and 47 seconds, I think it was. Wow. So Just, can't complain with that at all, for sure. Yeah, when she got ahead, there was... The, the group behind just couldn't... There was no cohesion. Nobody could figure out what to do. And she was so strong that even once they got their stuff together, they couldn't, couldn't compete against her. Okay, so... Amanda Spratt managed to get into second place. And kind of a interesting story, third place was Tatiana Guderzo, the Italian rider. Yeah. Big surprise. We didn't expect her to compete that highly in this race. But she is a former world champion. Yeah. But she won her world championship in 2004. Oh. So you don't... Older <laughs> yeah, you don't expect her to be on the podium in 2018. Okay, yeah. So I guess I have a question now. Where does that, since that knee bone is now, whatever part of the knee that is, <laughs> is as fractured, is that, is that her ability to kind of compete was obviously hindered? Yeah, like it had to, clearly it was all adrenaline. Yeah. Like there's no way, like she's off the bike for several weeks now. The season is over pretty much. There are a few smaller races to her Beijing and yeah. that come up. But her season is over. Uh, she won't be able to even ride a stationary bike for several weeks. But. Okay, okay. So it's kind of a, a really big deal. Yeah, it was lucky that it was on the last race because she was able to win the world championships the week before. Uh, sorry, the three days before she was able to win the time trial world championships. So yeah. she still had a successful race. Okay, so moving on to the men's. So the men's road race just finished up today. We're recording Sunday night. If the Van der Bregen victory in the women's race was a chess match, yeah. it was a perfectly executed chess match by the Dutch, watching the men's road race was more like watching a game of whack-a-mole. <laughs> Just 
everybody, starting with about 75k to go, they, they, there was a group of kind of unexpected, unremarkable riders up front. They got a lead as big as 18 minutes, and it was eventually dropped down to the point where they were pretty sure they were going to catch him. Yeah. And the group of contenders just, at that point, attacked and attacked and attacked, and we saw about two, two and a half hours of just nonstop action. Totally. If you were watching like me, you were just watching on the edge of your seat and glued to, <laughs> glued to your for someone to for break hours. and no one's breaking yeah. and just attack, attack, attack. Yeah, and in the end, of about uh, on the last climb, there was a vicious climb, three kilometers, average about ten and a half percent, with uh, I think it was eleven k to go. That's where we really fa- saw the final gap, which led us with a group of Alejandro Valverde, Michael Woods, Roman Bardet, with uh, Tom Dumoulin and Gianni Moscone just a little behind. And Michael Woods, the Canadian, looked the strongest on the climb. But unfortunately, he is not a sprinter. <laughs> yes, exactly what you're saying there. So he obviously lost a little bit of time that way. Yeah, so the three they rode, Tom Dumoulin caught up to make it a group of four with about uh, 800 meters left. And we saw, we saw a great sprint. Alejandro Valverde won the sprint. Just spectacular fashion. Roman Bardet finished second. Rooney Maivid, you might remember last week, I predicted... Van Vluten, Van de Bregen, Dennis, and Bardet. Yes. So I was one second place away from going four for four on my predictions. Very disappointing. And the Canadian finished in third, so double disappointing. But you got to feel really happy for Valverde. He's been a great rider for many years. This is his 12th World Championship race. Yep. In his 11 previous ones, he's finished on the podium six times but was never able to make it to that top step to wear the rainbow jersey. It's always the bridesmaid, never the bride. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Four, four bronze medals, two silver medals, but couldn't couldn't win that gold. So he finally gets it. I believe he's 40 years old this year. Okay, so cycling is kind of a thing of the past almost, but still manages to get it out of there. Yeah, I, I, in last week's prediction preview episode, I don't think I even mentioned Valverde because he looked I don't think so he looked completely out of gas during the Vuelta just two weeks yes. ago. So I thought, he has no chance. He's exhausted. He's been working too hard this season. I think we did talk about how he was exhausted. Yeah, it's quite possible. <laughs> because I, in theory, this is a really good race for him. People were comparing it to Liege-Bastogne-Liege. The course and Valverde has won that race about 850 times, I think, at this point. So, in theory, it was a good race for him, but I thought he was just too tired at 40 years old. I thought it was too hard of a season. But incredible performance to stick with Woods and Bardet up the climb, and then clearly of those three, he was the guy you would expect to win the sprint finish. They just couldn't get rid of him. Okay, holy. So, does that do it for our cycling? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, cycling will probably be done until the Tour Down Under early next year. Okay, so there we go, cycling. We had a strong amount of Kevin's words. <laughs> you know. Okay, so, now. Got a special guest for our next uh, next section. We're going to preview the baseball playoffs. Matteo! How's it going, guys? Okay, how you doing, man? Nice to have you on the show. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. We're, otherwise, we never would have talked about baseball because we're our strong <laughs> suit. Not with uh, the old twigging balls there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Baseball. 
you're the guy coming here with like 19 papers, all the <laughs> all these backslashes on there. I don't know what's going on. I got a lot of stuff here for you, so we'll we'll get started and uh, see what we can cover here. So okay, let's let's see this back and forth banner we got here. First one we're gonna get going with is the uh, wild card game in the American League. Yes. Uh, so we'll start out with Oakland. Heck yeah, heck yeah. The, the fact that they're here is absolutely nuts, nuts. You yeah, know, I know their, that. Their payroll <laughs> Lowest is... payroll in baseball. <laughs> Unbelievable that that team is even where it is. They've got some guys that can absolutely mash with Chris Davis, Stephen Biscotti, Matt Chapman, Jed Lowry. These guys are all just unreal. Davis led the league in home runs with 48 bombs this year, 116 RBIs. Matt Chapman is probably the best defenseman, their defensive third baseman in all of baseball, if not number two to maybe Nolan Arenado, but he is just unbelievable. These guys are, Chapman's racked up 8.1 wins above replacement with, you know, a lot of it off of his defense. Like, the guy is just unbelievable on the hot corner. There we go, there we go. So, I mean, Oakland, You the question I have for about Oakland is like, is this like Moneyball? Is this them finding a whole bunch of them pieces <laughs> of weird guys you never expect? Or is this just great recruiting, great kind of... It, it totally is the Moneyball thing. Like, Jed Lowry kind of had a, a career year. I'm not sure how old he is at this point, but he's got to be 32, 33 years yeah, old. Exactly. Right? Steps up to have the, the best year of his career. You know, Chris Davis is a guy that was kind of a... He always hit lots of home runs, but he was kind of a strikeout king and never really brought a whole lot of value even though he hit a lot of balls out of the ballpark but this year he brought his, his stats up you know his on-base percentage is like 330 which is good for a guy that just swings for the fences all yeah, the time. time yeah the biggest question with them is probably injuries affecting their starting rotation okay, I, okay. I honestly i don't even know who's going to start the wild card game <laughs> because sean Manea, who threw a no-hitter against the Red Sox earlier this year yeah. and has been their guy, is done for the year. Cahill is hurt. Graveman is hurt. Like, it's probably Mike Fears who came over to trade the deadline. So yeah. that's probably their guy, I would have to think. But, you know, in the second half of the year, as these injuries have stacked up, they've kind of gone to that uh, the opener strategy that Tampa Bay was using where they have a guy starting and he only goes, you know, two or, two or three innings and then, they go straight to the bullpen, so it'll be interesting. They don't really have a number one horse to ride. Yeah, last year we saw the Yankees in the one game wild card. They used a ton of relievers, got a ton. Of, is that what Oakland's gonna have to do again this year? Well, I mean that was kind of unintentional because Minnesota jumped on the Yankees so early. But some of these teams are doing it intentionally, and I mean it makes sense because statistically, hitters start to get on to pitchers second, third, fourth time through the order yeah. because they've seen the guy a couple of times now. With this opener strategy, you're only seeing that guy once. And yeah. then by the time you get up to bat again, it's a new pitcher in there. So it, it has its merits, but you've also got relievers throwing way more innings than you know what they're used, used to. to. So, yeah. so Oakland, I mean, they won 97 games this year, which is unbelievable. I, most people had them finishing last or second last in the division so i mean nobody expected them to be where they are so i mean personally as a Sox fan i'll be hoping they win the wild card i'm going with the yankees this year so hopefully not i mean they did they made a major push <laughs> to try and get home field advantage during that uh, wild card game which i think would have been huge because the yankees are good at home yes and, you know that short porch and right their hitters 
are tailor-made to that all season long. They're yeah. used to just trying to hit the ball there. So, I mean, putting the Yankees in, in Oakland in that huge pitcher's park and whatever would have been a, a big advantage. But New York ends up winning 100 games and getting the, the home field advantage by wild card. So that's probably a pretty big disadvantage for Oakland. But yeah, I feel like that's a bigger advantage for New York than it is a disadvantage for Oakland. Oh, yeah. Because sure. if New York now wins this, they don't have to go across the country and then all the way back to Boston. I mean, it, really hurt them. that part's an advantage for both teams because it's the same for Oakland. If if Oakland wins the wild card game, their flight is short to Boston, too. Yeah. I mean, Boston was certainly hoping that Oakland whoever won. won that game, they wanted that game in Oakland. So yeah, they have to make that flight across country. But Very true. But it didn't quite go that way. So the next team we'll talk about is the Evil Empire, the... The New York Yankees. <laughs> That's my call for the winning year. They're not okay, they're, let's establish this. This isn't my team. I don't know really who I have a team in baseball, but I just feel like I I, I don't know why I got so the. So do you like them for the the big hitters or just because I, I like of the, the big Yankees hitters? Or? Yeah, maybe it's just because it's the Yankees. But I feel like I really like because those those big hitters. I'm a big fan of Aaron Judge. I'm a big fan of uh, oh, I'm afraid to say Stanton. You know, so I'm I'm a big fan. Well, and they are the the quintessential Bronx Bombers. I mean, they just broke the record at the end of the year here for most home runs in a season in history, <laughs> right. with 266 home runs in a 162 game season. So yeah, that's quite a bit. That ballpark has the health. That's a that's a little baby ballpark. But <laughs> it is what it is. Um, some of the questions with New York is who are they going to start in the wild card game? You know, Severino was their guy for the first half of the season, but really kind of struggled down the stretch and Tanaka really pitched well and Jay Happ has pitched really well in the second half since coming to coming to New York so it's hard to say who they're actually going to go with in that wild card game if I had to guess I'd say Severino but yeah I feel like if you're going with Happ or even Tanaka that's not that doesn't bode very well they just they don't have the same ceiling that Severino has but Severino seems to be a little more volatile he can he can throw up a clunker and get you in trouble in a hurry. Yeah. <laughs> but but he also has that ability to just come in and just dominate a baseball game. So I think that that's who they'll go with in a one-game series, and then Tanaka will likely start game one if they were to win the, the wild card. Yeah, they'll just have, our, have to have a really quick hook like they did last year potentially. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, some of the other questions is health for them. Uh, you know, Judge had the, the fracture. Yeah. He's back, but, I mean, how healthy, how healthy is he? Are it's you? hard to say. Same thing with Didi Gregorius. You know, he had the wrist fracture just recently. A lot of a lot of people thought he was probably done for, for the, the year. year. Yeah, and he's back playing, but he's been wearing a brace on his wrist, so he, like likely it's not a hundred percent. Just wants to win. And I mean, know. for two guys that are power hitters, wrist and arm injuries are you know could be a big deal, right? Yeah, so, exactly. So it, it'll be interesting. I mean, Judge hit a home run in this uh, season-ending series against the Red Sox, so. He looks pretty healthy. I mean, Stanton has uh, had some hamstring injuries as well, too. Yeah. He's played through it, but he's not 100%. I mean, a lot of guys aren't at this point. Point of the year, yes, um, exactly. But those are some major, major pieces for the Yankees that they need to be going if they're going to compete with the likes of Oakland in that wild card game. If they win the wild card game, they have to go up against the Sox. If they win that series, you got to go up against either Houston or Cleveland. Like that AL is a gauntlet. So <laughs> yeah. You need all your horses running. Yeah, 100%. Um, 
Speaking, let's move on to that uh, Cleveland, Cleveland-Houston series. We can go there, yeah. The, uh, the Cleveland-Houston series is a, a, a juggernaut matchup. <laughs> You've got two of the best starting rotations in all of baseball going head-to-head. You've got Corey Kluber, Carrasco, Bauer, Clevenger all on that Cleveland side. And then you got Verlander, Garrett Cole, Keuchel, Charlie Morton going on the on the Houston side. Yeah, that's about as good of a four as. Oh, I feel I sorry. I mean, there's some good hitters in this, but having to go up against those two groups is just <laughs> unfair. And then pretty good bullpens too. I mean, Cleveland's bullpen struggled for a lot of the year, but it seems like Andrew Miller's healthy now, and like the, And then same thing on the Houston side. Like they got as much as I mean. I don't think a lot of people like him, but Roberto Osuna is a heck of a pitcher. I mean, you don't want to have to try and come back from a deficit against that guy at the end of a game. So, uh, they, you know, Houston's got Alex Bregman, definite MVP candidate, probably going to finish top three. I don't think he's going to win it, but, you know, his, uh, his stat line is he's got over 30 home runs, over 100 RBIs. You know, he's he hit almost 300 on the season. OPS is over 900 which is just an outstanding season for a second year player the kid's like 21 22 years old exactly right having a heck of a year after having a heck of a second half and playoffs on the way to a world series last year with houston and then on the cleveland side you got two guys that in any other year would be likely mvp candidates in francisco lindor who is one of the most electrifying shortstops to watch play defense and hit over 30 home runs this year and then Jose Ramirez with a 30-30 season, stealing 30 bags, hits 30 home runs, playing good defense at third base. you got two guys there that are legit MVP caliber players. And then on top of that, they get Donaldson at the deadline. Yes, that's I mean, a big pickup. That's a huge pickup. If, <laughs> if he's even at 80%, yes. the guy rakes. So, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know. How much will the managers make a difference in that series? Because that's a good... That is a good yeah. matchup with Hinch and, and Tito Francona. I mean, I'm always going to give Francona the edge on managerial against no matter who he goes <laughs> up with. I think he's probably the smartest manager in baseball. The guy is just a genius. So. Yeah. I have to imagine a Red Sox fan would feel that way. Asterix, what hat are you wearing right now? <laughs> the guy's just had success everywhere he's gone. 100%. He, he always seems to know the right buttons to push at the right time to to get what he needs out of guys, so he's a, he's a pretty impressive coach. I mean, A.J. Hinch is no slouch either. He won the World Series last year, so. Yeah. And I believe, didn't they have the highest run differential by quite a bit in the league this year? Uh, Boston was pretty close behind them, I think. I mean, it helped them catch up when they beat Baltimore 19-3 to <laughs> last week, so that, <laughs> that definitely tightened it up a bit, but I do think uh, Houston did finish with the best run differential in baseball. That's so. one of those, like, kind of obvious stats that the stat heads like to point to is yeah. more important than records even. And then, I mean, and that's, we haven't even mentioned Carlos Correa or Jose Altuve at that yeah, point. Exactly. Yeah, can Altuve right. be anything? Like, that was my obsession last playoffs was just watching Jose Altuve play. He's a heck of a player. I mean, <laughs> for a guy to be that little and that impactful, I mean. crazy. There's, and there's three guys in the big leagues right now that are like that with Jose Ramirez in Cleveland. And then Altuve and Mookie Betts, they're all under 5'10 and just so impactful. They've got such good bat speed. They hit a ton of home runs. They've got speed on the base paths. They're just 
really impressive players to watch play baseball. So, um, so I guess on that note, we can move on to uh, my team, the the Boston Red Sox, and most uh, wins in the league. Most wins in the league. They finished today with uh, 108 wins this year, which is a franchise record. That surprised me. I would have thought they had a 112 year or something in there. Yeah, exactly. Previous previous high was 105. Um, This team has just been so consistent all year. The the only team not to have a four-game losing streak all season long. Really? The most they ever (laughs) lost was three straight. I think it happened two or three times all year. Holy. And uh, 12 teams in Major League history have won 108 games in a season. Seven of them won the World Series. There we go. That's, that's a stat. That's a <laughs> that stat. is quite melodious. Like... <laughs> so there's, there's some precedence there for a team with 108 wins to have a little bit of postseason success. It's so. just like one of them. Peyton, every time Peyton Manning sneezes in the third quarter, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Colts yeah. win. <laughs> yeah, so the big, the big obvious question with the Red Sox is their pitching. Yeah. A, there's a lot the of history of sub- suspect pitching in the playoffs. So there's a few issues with the pitching for Boston, but we'll we'll get through them here. So obviously the big one is David Price. Can he win a playoff start? <laughs> the guy has been unbelievable all season long with a 3.5 ERA. In the second half since the All-Star break, he's had one of the best second halves in the entire major leagues. Yeah. He's been just bulletproof and even more so at Fenway and he's lined up to start game two at home at Fenway so he's been put in a position of success he's going to have a good offense going for him at home where he's comfortable in a season where he's fully healthy if he can't win this time you know it's maybe just not meant to be (laughs) does it matter who he plays I know he's got an incredible record in Fenway against the Yankees and he's got an incredibly bad one against the Yankees (laughs) at Yankee Stadium so it's it's hard to say you know he's he's proven he can shut that that lineup down but maybe that right field porch is the problem I, I I haven't looked at the spray charts but maybe they've got a lot of opposite field hits where Hits go to die in right field in Boston with that 380 fence yeah. right away, whereas yeah. those little pop-ups are in the seats in New York. So, yeah. you know, that that can definitely play a big factor. The other guy that is a bit of a question mark, not so much because of performance, because his, his track record in the playoffs is basically nothing, but is Chris Sale healthy? He's had shoulder issues yes. in the second half. He's still, with how good his stats are, I don't think he's going to win it because I think Blake Snell out of Tampa is going to win the Cy Young. But Sale's thrown like 18 innings since the trade deadline. And this and is he not might legitimately this still is not a one-year thing for him. He's regularly had issues. In well, the he's had half performance seasons. issues in the second half, but he's been remarkably healthy over the course of his career. And and they, it's hard to know where he's at because. The Red Sox, with what their record was, have been able to be so careful with him when he had a little bit of an issue. So is it they've just been super careful with him and that's why he's thrown so few innings? Or is his shoulder not reacting well to it? And I mean, Boston's so notorious for kind of fudging information on on injuries that there's no way to really know. It must be a Boston area thing. (laughs) You just won't know until after the season's over what is really going on other than, you know, all we know is shoulder inflammation. That's all. Yeah, I keep saying, yeah. But. If they need it, what's uh, Boston's bullpen like? Can they 
pick up so, the slack if things go south. Boston's bullpen has been a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde situation this year. In the first half, they were the best bullpen in baseball. In yeah. the second half, they've been real middle of the pack. They still have uh, a super elite closer in Craig Kimbrell. The guy is just absolute shutdown. And Matt Barnes has had a really nice year as kind of the number eight setup guy. Uh, there's been some other questions, though, with guys like Joe Kelly. He's really struggled in the second half if he's even going to make the postseason roster. Pomeranz is out. He's not going to make the postseason roster. It looks like Stephen Wright, the knuckleballer, is going to get in. He's had a fantastic second half. He's allowed one run, I think, in his last, like, 15 appearances. He's just been lights out. But, I mean, knuckleballers will make <laughs> Red Sox fans more than anybody nervous in the playoffs after... Tim Wakefield gives up a home run in 2003 to Aaron Boone. <laughs> That'll make any Sox fan nervous. On the offensive side, I mean, they got the best offense in baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jamie Martinez and Mookie Betts have just been unbelievable. Martinez finished with uh, 43 home runs and 130 RBIs, hitting like 330 on the season, which is just an outrageous average for a slugger like that. Mookie... Uh, same as Jose Ramirez had a 30-30 season with 32 bombs and 30 steals. Uh, also wins the batting title with 346, and I think is probably the consensus pick for MVP this year. So yeah. Now I'm more of a casual baseball fan, but I always hear the narrative that come the playoffs, the runs disappear, everything slows down. Is that going to be a problem for the best offensive team in the in the league? I mean, it could be, but. Houston was a really offensive team last year, and, I mean, the Dodgers weren't a, a super offensive team. They were kind of really balanced because they've got guys like Kershaw and Maeda and Rich Hill, and they've got some really good pitching. But, I mean, you look at Houston last year, there were some high-scoring games in that World Series. So I think there's there's something to be said about offenses being shut down because of the way bullpens are used in the playoffs, where you got the forty-man rosters, and well, it's only twenty-five man once you get to the playoffs. Oh, okay. But the they just go with such a quick hook. A guy gets into trouble, and they they don't let him try and ride it out. They go to a new arm right away if it looks like they don't have it. So that can really shut things down. Because when you have a guy like, you know, you, you get into the eighth inning, and maybe Matt Barnes gets into a little bit of trouble. They're not going to wait till the ninth to bring Craig Kimbrell in. They're going to bring him in and try and get five or six outs out of him if they need it. Whereas in the regular season, they just they don't do that because they just don't want to wear him out. Yeah, but yeah. Now it's it's all hands on deck, and <laughs> you know. So I, you know, we'll see. The you would think that a team that scores this way would continue to score, but. You know, Anything to the never know. the cold weather affecting that? or Well, I think that if there's a team that can handle the cold weather, it's probably Boston. They oh, were right. playing in the snow, basically, in March. Yeah. And still just dominating teams. Why is baseball on, starting so. in March? Anyways? <laughs> I question. think the biggest thing is because they're wanting to get the, the playoffs in a little bit earlier with the wild oh. card format and whatever the, the World Series was going into November. And now it's scheduled to finish on Halloween if the World Series goes seven games. Oh, okay. I think they're trying to get it done a little earlier. They've also gone to building a few more rest days into the schedule, so that lengthened things out a little bit. So Keep players a little healthier. Exactly. I mean, 
it's never good for baseball. They've got enough attendance issues as it is right now without having star players out just due to usage, especially pitchers. Like, pitchers need rest. That's just not a natural motion. And there's just too <laughs> many guys get such a violent exactly. motion as well. Okay, for so, context, you just pulled out another stack of papers. So. <laughs> That's the American League. Then we're moving on to the chaos that is the National the League. The National League. What a mess. What a mess. Yeah. So, we could have had nice, clear yeah, with matchups couple, to talk about. But. With a couple of different results today, things would have been just nice and clean. And <laughs> we would have been ready to go just like the American League, but uh, no such luck. So. Yeah. We'll, we'll make some guesses in the predictions. <laughs> we'll start out with Atlanta because we know that they're just clinched the division. They're done. They're just waiting to see what else happens with some of the other teams to find out who they're going to play. Um, Atlanta's kind of a surprise team. Maybe not so much as Oakland, but still a super young team, probably a little ahead of schedule. Uh, they won 90 games to win a division that's maybe a little bit weak. The Phillies kind of gave them a run until the end of the season, and it kind of fell on their face. The Nationals so, were just a... The Nationals were a major <laughs> disappointment. Yeah. The Mets were awful, and we all knew the Marlins were going to be awful after Derek Jeter nuked them. So. <laughs> <laughs> Bought them to take it down, to give them to the Yankees. Yeah, pretty much. So um, this Acuna that they've, that they've got leading off, he set the record for... Uh, lead off home runs in a season and he didn't show up until like 60 games in. Yeah, clear rookie of the year winner. On the NL side for sure, yeah. On the AL side it's going to be interesting between Otani and uh, Andujar from the Yankees. I mean, Andujar's had the better offensive season, but Otani pitches. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, right? he's the he's freak. So. Pitches and he's had a great <laughs> offensive year, so it, it's hard to know. I mean, it might help him that the Yankees are a good team as well, yeah. whereas the Angels yeah. wasted another year of Mike Trout yet again. Yeah. So. <laughs> Very sad. Um, the heart of the order for Atlanta is pretty potent with Acuna, uh, Freeman, Marquecas, and Ozzy Albies, who's another young second baseman that's just come up this year. Uh, Freeman hit 23 home runs with 93 RBIs and a 310 average would probably be an MVP candidate if it wasn't for guys like Christian Yelich and the <laughs> Brewers, but uh, another great season for him. And then Mark has had a career year basically out of nowhere, had 43 doubles with a 298 average and also had 93 RBIs, so a, a heck of a year for him. Their starting pitching is pretty solid, um, but their pen is pretty average, and I... That worries me a little bit, especially in the playoffs, having a bunch of young, inexperienced guys that haven't been to the postseason that you're relying on on offense, and then a decent to kind of shaky pitching staff. I'm, I'm not sure that they've got what they need to Yeah, the Braves strike me as a team that you would want to play. Kind of, choice. yeah. Like, I, mean, I mean, they can shock some people. You know, if, if these guys that have carried them this far get hot at the right time, um, you know, they can beat anybody, but you can say that about any team at this point in the season. Like, all these teams are legit. So I would put them as probably a – I would predict them to probably lose in the division series to whoever they end up playing, whether it's uh, the Dodgers or the Rockies. They wouldn't be my pick, but – I mean, they they have the tools there. I just think that they're 
maybe a year or two away from really, really shaking making all a move. So gotcha. Um, and they've got some some injuries. Dansby Swanson's not really healthy. Brad McCarthy's done for the year. Darren O'Day's done for the year. Uh, Soroka is a kid from Calgary, actually, that's been pitching for them. He's out for the year as well with a oh. shoulder injury. <laughs> so they've got some they've got some injuries on that team that are going to make an impact because they're impactful players that are hurt. Swanson, I think, is going to be ready to go for the playoffs. But again, that's another one of those. He's healthy, know. but how healthy is yeah. he? Like, he can go, but what kind of impact can he have? Just get him at 85% or... Exactly. And I mean, as a shortstop, if range is an issue or anything, that can be a pretty major impact. You know, yeah. defense is important when you're scraping every run together that you can get. <laughs> yeah. you know, defense can change games. So. so we'll move on to the Rockies. And we're going to kind of talk about the Rockies and the Dodgers together. Because, well, they finished with the exact same record in the same division, and now we have to play game 163 to decide <laughs> the division. So the Dodgers and Colorado are going to go head-to-head to decide the winner of the division. The team's going to have to go play a one-game wildcard game. and so they basically yeah, have to play, play a one-game wild card Try to games. avoid a one-game wildcard. Exactly. And I, I don't know where this game is being held. Uh, I don't know how they even decide that when they have the same record it's probably maybe a head-to-head record against each other would maybe decide the home field advantage for that but uh you know if that's the case they could be in la and then the loser of that game is going to have to go play a wild card game against either milwaukee or chicago in the next day or two after so (laughs) quick turnaround yeah it's because yeah because the the Especially with baseball having to use your best pitchers, that's... Well, I think these guys are going to have to use their best... Like, I don't know who the Dodgers are going to throw. Like, do you go Kershaw in that game 163 and then try and win it and then that gets you into the division series? Or do you throw a guy like Rich Hill or somebody that can maybe get you there but isn't, like, your ace? And then Colorado has even more questions around that because they really only have one really good starter and then after that it kind of it really falls off for them so uh i'm not sure who goes as a starter in either of these games because there's just so much more to think about (laughs) you know there's a lot of chess happening here you know know, if if you throw kershaw in this game and then you lose now you have to go to a wild card game and you don't have kershaw to play in that one (laughs) who knows no point would Starting pitcher depth. These guys would love to have the Indians or the Astros starting rotation. Well, the the Dodgers do have a good starting rotation. They've got Clayton Kershaw. They've got Walker Bueller. They've got Kenta Maeda. They've got Rich Hill. Like they've they've definitely got some horses. Whereas Colorado, it's you know it's Freeland, and then John Gray. I don't really know. (laughs) I don't know who the number two so is for them. Does Colorado have some sort of late season magic? We've talked about this on the they podcast have, before, uh, but for some reason, somewhere it always seems like down. this point of the season, we're talking about Colorado Rockies on some sort of crazy winning streak. The Rockies, I think they went something like eight and two or nine and one in their last ten, and they they had won something like eighteen or nineteen games in September just to get here it really looked like it was going to go down to the Dodgers or the Diamondbacks for the division and Colorado kind of looked like they weren't even going to be in the conversation and then they just got hot and I mean they've got a really good 
bullpen with McGee and Davis and Shaw and Bettis and O and Ottavino, like they're super deep in the bullpen. So they can, if they can get four or five innings out of their starter, then they can go to that bullpen and they can ride those guys through and they can win some games like that. So. Have they gone to the Tampa Bay starter? Two, two innings, anything like that? I haven't watched a lot of their games this year, but I would have to think that just looking at their starting rotation that they've probably had to do that. It seems like everybody's kind of done it, especially when you get to that number five spot in the rotation. I think teams are realizing that that's more effective than running a number five starter who's yeah. kind of a bum <laughs> out there. Like yeah. Even the Sox, like, the Sox have a ton of starting pitching depth at the bottom of that rotation with... Guys like Brian Johnson and Hector Velasquez and Stephen Wright, and they've even kind of gone to that opener strategy with that number five spot because it's just it's more effective than having a guy like Brian Johnson face the Yankees three times to the order. They just those guys just get beat up on that. Lit up in the third time around. <laughs> so Colorado's got, I mean, they've got a legitimate pair of MVP candidates in Nolan Arenado, who, like I mentioned earlier, is one of the top defensive third basemen in the league. Hit 35 home runs, 106 RBIs. That just seems like it's just clockwork for him at this point. He seems to just do it every single year, which is incredible. I mean, he's definitely one of the best players in baseball. But Trevor Story, their shortstop, has also played really good defense. Has the exact same wins above replacement as Aaron Otto, which just tells you how good he's been this year. Also hit 35 home runs, had 105 RBIs. Hit 290, which is big for him because he's another guy kind of like Chris Davis. Swings for the fences a lot. Used yeah. to strike out a ton. He's cut down on that. His on-base percentage has gotten better. Um, one of their big questions is Charlie Blackman. He's kind of had a down year. But then today I just checked. He hit for the cycle in game 162. So, If he's heating up now, that just adds another weapon to that team. So yeah, And I mean... The other the other piece with them is Coors Field is always it's always interesting like how can their opponents match up when their pitchers aren't used to throwing there. Freeland has done he's had a historic year with pitching <laughs> at Coors Field, which is something that pitchers have never been able to do. Like it's just it's such a hard place to play with yeah. the with the thin air, yeah. and and he's just had a historic year. He's won 17 games this year pitching on a Coors Field, which is just incredible. It'd be interesting to see what he'd do in a place like Pittsburgh or San Francisco <laughs> where the ball doesn't fly because yeah. it's been very impressive. Um, and the Dodgers, they've had some big pickups for... Yeah, they picked up Machado, I think that was trade. And they got Brian Dozier, too, so they added a, a ton of pop. Uh, Machado hit 37 home runs this year. Turner was really good ever since coming back from his injury. He hit 15 home runs and had 51 RBIs in only 100 games. Uh, and he hit 312. Walker Bueller has kind of come out of nowhere as a pitcher. Had a 2.7 ERA. And is getting comparisons because of his fastball changeup combo to Pedro Martinez. And Pedro made that comparison himself, saying this kid reminds him of myself. Yeah. So that's a huge, huge compliment for anybody. But this kid's stuff is just filthy, filthy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) He is not a guy you want to go up against. So that one-two punch with Kershaw and Bueller is 
is pretty devastating as far as a pitching rotation goes. And then, you know, their number three guy that's probably Rich Hill is also, you know, had a really solid nice season. And has for the last two, three, four years. Has just been really, really solid. So that's a that's a tough rotation. Um, as far as weaknesses go, I was watching the Dodgers game. They're pen. Um, but also their leadoff hitter. I was watching, I'm spacing on his name right now, but had a... Bellinger hitting leadoff. I think it was was it Peterson maybe was hitting like two twenty three. That's really bad for a leadoff hitter. Yeah, I would say their biggest issue is probably the bullpen. They they had kind of struggled all season long. Kenley Jansen didn't really seem to be the same Kenley that everybody's kind of known (laughs) to expect. And then they also basically did nothing at the deadline to try and shore that bullpen up. So that's a bit of a question. I mean, Kenley, Kenley Jansen came out and uh, they they announced that he had a heart condition that he's going to have surgery for in the off season. Yeah. Okay. Um, so does that a bit... affect him playing, or is that just kind of weighing well, on they, his mind? It, it affected him more, I think, because of the medication they had him on for it. He said that he felt like he was just in a haze when he yeah. was on the medication, so he quit taking it. But they said they were a little <sighs> worried about him pitching in Colorado. He just flat out said, he said, if we're going to Colorado, I'm playing. Like, yes. Yeah. All right. It's happening. So, so interesting. So hopefully we don't see a closer die on the mound. Kaylee's going for it. It's so. been Chris Bosch story and all that yeah, stuff. No, yeah, we don't, yeah, need, we don't need something like that. And the other piece that's big for the Dodgers is... Yasiel Puig has been hot in the second half. Reeking. <laughs> He's so much fun to watch. A lot of people don't like him because of his his brashness, but I, I think he's just super entertaining. And... Those players are the reason why you watch sports. Those guys. Oh, they who, yeah, you, you want know. to watch the Jose Batista bat flip over exactly. the shoulder and just throws out there. <laughs> it's and so like... much fun. He's licking his bat when he's walking. <laughs> yeah, you know. He's a wild man, but he when he is on, he is a game changer. He can go into extended slumps where he becomes invisible, but when he's on, he is a Second catalyst yeah. for any any team would like to have a guy when Puig is hot. And he's coming into the end of the season here hot, so if he can ride that to the playoffs, you know, that could be a difference maker. These, these, these matchups are all going to be tight, so... It could be a big difference yeah. maker for them. If the records of it are any indication, this is exactly. going to be as <laughs> close as it can get. So we'll finish up with the other game 163 that we have to decide. <laughs> but I did check. It is uh, since 2009. It's it's a head-to-head matchup determines home field. Okay, so I, I think the Dodgers will have home field advantage in that game then. I have no idea between Chicago and Milwaukee. I believe that they are very close. They play... Divisional uh, rivals play 19 games against each other, so I don't know what it's what they're at. Maybe 10 and 9, right in there probably. Yeah. So I'm not sure what the home field will be here. I don't know that it matters a whole lot, whether it's at Wrigley or Miller Park. Yeah, unlike the New York... Oakland exactly. There's not it's, exactly it's a lot of travel. A, a huge difference. Well, it's not a huge difference in the diamonds either, right? Whereas the dimensions are just oh. so drastic. <laughs> it makes a big difference. Whereas this one, I think it's a lot closer. Um, it is at Wrigley Field. Okay, so there we go. Milwaukee wow. is another one of those ones where I have 
no idea who's starting these games. They just don't have <laughs> those like ace horses, and I think that's a big issue for Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee, if they can win the division and play in a five-game division series, they stand a decent chance with their offense kind of rising to the top and can probably win them three out of five games. Yeah. Yeah. I worry about them having to go up against a Clayton Kershaw or a Kyle Freeland in the wildcard game. I just don't know if they can win that with having their starting pitcher. Theoretically use their best starting pitcher of the day. Exactly, <laughs> and then having to go up against an absolute stud that could shut down an offense and then them not really having a guy that can do that. Yeah. That would be my biggest concern. Uh, Christian Yelich hit two cycles this year. <laughs> Is he the MVP in the NL? I would think so. It's going to be tight. I mean, Javi Baez, uh, Matt Carpenter, Yelich, Freeman, they're all kind of right there. But I think Yelich, with what he's done at the end of the year to really push Milwaukee to where they're at, is probably going to be the difference maker in voters' minds. Just yeah. You know, it's fresh because it's at the end yeah, of the season. season. That, so that affects every, makes a huge every sport. We had a conversation about this about Leonard Fournette when he was uh, yeah, the Heisman. Yeah, he was so far ahead of everyone, but then you know he has one game that's mediocre, and everyone's like, everyone else is better than him. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. one of those. So I think Yelich, with how close it is, I think Yelich is probably the guy that's going to get the MVP. And I mean. Well deserved. The guy has a gold glove. He plays unreal defense. He's hit 31 home runs, almost 100 RBIs, hit for two cycles in one season, which is ridiculously rare. I mean, we had four cycles in the major leagues this year. Mookie hit one, Yelich had two, and then Blackman had one today. So that's that's a lot of cycles for one year. But, uh, they've also got uh, Lorenzo Kane, who's had a quiet but really solid season. I mean, he's another guy that can play gold glove defense. He's got playoff experience as well, right? He was with the, he was with the Royals when they there. won, so he, he brings that to the table for them as well. And, I mean, he's a guy that's going to hit over 300. He doesn't hit for a ton of power, but he can he can go yard once in a while, and he's just super solid out in the outfield. And then they've also got Aguilar, who hit over 30 home runs. So they've, they've definitely got some pop, and that's not even mentioning Ryan Braun either. Who's been on fire lately. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then they've also got a guy named Hader, who's a reliever, who has just been absolutely insane. Yeah, we talked about him earlier in the year when he had... Almost him. 16 <laughs> strikeouts per nine innings pitched. I feel like he's having his, like, Kobe Bryant, play for your freedom type of Play until they forget about what you said on the internet. Like, Craig Kimbrell's numbers were close to this guy's last year, and they were calling that, like, a historic season. But, like, this guy's come in in, like, the seventh inning with runners on base and then gone to the end of the game and struck out, like, nine guys in three yeah, innings. Don't like, see that unbelievable if you can get to him with a lead good luck like yeah. good luck chasing that guy it wasn't the case last year but in 2016 2015 there was a stretch where it was basically play a seven game playoff season once you get to that pen it's yeah. over that was kind last of, year was kind of an aberration yeah the royals <laughs> really kind of built that system with their pen in 2015 when they won yeah where they just if you got to the sixth and you were behind them, good luck. You couldn't, you couldn't catch up because their pen was just so shut down. Um, I don't think that Milwaukee's good enough to win a World Series this year. I think they need to add starting pitching to get there. Yeah. But 
they're one of those teams that, like, they're kind of on schedule. They've been building towards this. They've been acquiring the guys they want, and now they need to go out and probably spend some money to acquire some starting pitching in the offseason, and, and then they can be a potent team. This season is the proof of concept that gives yeah. you the confidence to go Gets forward. Gets ownership to kind of buy in and say, okay, let's spend some money on a yeah. starter. And then their opponent in game 163 is the Chicago Cubs. This is a team that I think should scare anybody that's a fan of anyone else. Uh, <laughs> their record, I mean, they only have 95 wins, which compared to the AL where we've got 300 game winners. They had a few kind of prolonged slumps this year. Yeah, right? and, and, you know, 95 games looks, or wins looks a little bit iffy, but this team is deep. Like, no easy outs. They're a veteran team. They've won a World Series with most of these pieces already there. You know, guys like Rizzo and Baez and Bryant and, I mean, give me John Lester in a playoff yeah. winner-go-home game <laughs> at any moment in time, and I will take him. That guy just <laughs> always comes up clutch no matter whether it was in Boston or in Chicago. That's just He just wins. Then you've got Joe Madden steering that ship. Smart manager. He's not my favorite guy in the league, but I can't <laughs> deny his uh, his abilities. One big issue with the Cubs is the Addison Russell controversy. He is suspended right now, kind of the same sort of situation as uh, Osuna had. Okay. His his ex wife came out with some information about him abusing her. Not a whole lot of details, but MLB is investigating into it. So he's in an indefinite suspension right he's now? He's kind of in the situation that Osuna was in where he's on that administrative leave and oh, they just okay. keep yeah. extending it and extending it. And then after that, he's probably looking at a suspension once they come to a final decision yeah. on it. So there's a good chance that Addison Russell may not play in the playoffs at all. So that's their starting shortstop out. The saving grace is Baez can play legitimate shortstop defense. So they have a guy they can step in and play shortstop for them. But that's a that's a pretty key piece that's that's going to be missing from that squad. And anytime you lose one, you lose that depth all the way down. Exactly. And I mean, they have a deep lineup, so if there's a team that can shoulder that kind of loss, it's probably a team like the Cubs, but it's still, I mean, it's, it's going to affect them no matter what. You're going to have to bring in a guy that isn't as good as Addison Russell to fill that spot. So, yeah. you know, it's going to make a difference. They've also got some injuries on the starting pitching. Darvish is done for the year. Uh, Drew Smiley's Which might be year. good. Well, it could <laughs> so, be. That's true based enough. Based on what we saw last year. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Houston came out and said they knew what he was throwing because he was tipping pitches. But, I mean, that was a guy they spent a lot of money on to bring in, and he's yeah. not going to be contributing. Same with Morrow as well. He's he's done for the year. So those are some pieces that are going to affect them. Uh, the Murphy trade and the Hamels trades have been huge for Chicago. Like, yeah. Hamels has just been absolutely lights out since coming to Chicago. And Murphy is just raked since he's gotten there. So that's going to be two pieces that are going to help boost them, that help lengthen that lineup. I mean, Murphy probably plays second base now, and Baez slides over to shortstop. So you've still got two experienced guys. Yeah, the depth is, <laughs> the more you think about the depth, the more impressive it is. And, I mean, they've got one of the best catchers in baseball, in Wilson Contreras, the guy who just... 
He hits. He plays good defense. He's got a cannon for an arm. Yeah. He calls a good game. And that's a huge difference maker in a league where there's not a lot of, like, game-changing catchers. Like, it's just... It's a position where they value defense so much that there's not a lot of them that hit well, but Contreras is one of the ones that can make a difference on both sides of the ball. So that is a, that's a big difference maker for them as well compared to some of the other teams. All right. I think we are in the predictions. That's so like it is. Okay. Let's go back to the AL. Okay, so the AL is a little easier to predict <laughs> yeah, because we at least know the matchups. We have a pattern. So I have New York winning the wild card game. Let's go New York. <laughs> I have Boston winning the division series. Asterix. <laughs> People will say I'm a little bit influenced on that, but I mean I just, the stats are in your favor. So. I think they're the better team. You know, I think in the playoffs usually the the cream usually rises to the top. Very so I, I I'm confident that Boston can get it done, but I mean. All of these matchups, as far as I'm concerned, are as close to a coin flip as you can yeah. get. So yeah. I have Houston beating Cleveland. I picked both of those series to go in five games, so I think the AL is going to be wildly entertaining. I also picked Boston to beat Houston, but I literally am looking at a 50-50 coin flip there. That series is as tight as it can be. You've got a ton of star <laughs> power there. You've got two very smart managers there. I mean... Alex Cora was on AJ Hinch's bench last year as his bench coach. Yeah. And then gets That's hired point. <laughs> by Boston to be their manager and takes them to a 108 win season. So, I mean, I just don't see any stark advantages for either team in that series. Maybe Houston's maybe a little bit better pitching, Boston's probably a little bit better offense, and it's just so tight. So, I have Boston going to the World Series. All right, let's hear the AL predictions from Kevin. Uh, New York obviously beats Oakland. New York beats Boston. New York beats Houston. New York wins. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely threw an asterisk on that one. That was nonsense. <laughs> that was nonsense. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to be broad. I'm just going to say whoever wins the Houston-Cleveland series is going all the way. All the way to the, the World Series. And that, I mean, that's a fair prediction as well. Like I say this, that, that AL is a gauntlet. And I honestly, anybody other than Oakland, I have winning the World Series. Whoever yeah. comes out of that American League just should terrify anyone in the National League. The AL is so strong that I just, I think anybody that comes out of yeah. that, as long as they're not just worn down to nothing yeah, yeah. Just going like through the it, yeah. they should they should come out on top. I, I mean i agree with you with the al being the strongest of the sides i mean i'm gonna say new york's be my team but i mean obviously i feel like boston is gonna be the team to be there and i feel like if they do make it all the way through if they houston is the one question mark i have the other if houston i don't know that's houston my thought so strong it's just the only reason I think Cleveland might win is because Francona, you talked about yeah, Francona so earlier. Yeah. He's so smart. He knows what he's doing, and I could absolutely see him pulling Cleveland. Exactly. He's a little bit more than So, he, I mean, he, Boston is probably my favorite to win it all as well. Even but. when you get to, like, the Boston-Houston matchup, Boston has clinched home field advantage throughout the playoffs. 
but Houston has the best road record out of any <laughs> team in baseball, and Boston has the best home record out of any team in baseball. So, like, there's just no real discernible advantage for no. either team in in that matchup. Right, let's try to predict the chaotic NL now. So I had this all written out as to how I thought it was going to work out. <laughs> but I did this up last week. We Things have changed so much in that time. Ooh, man. The thing about it is, I think it's all worked out other than I, I at that point in time, I had St. Louis getting into the, the wild card rather than Colorado. <laughs> yeah. I think they were actually tied at that point. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I still think that the Cubs are likely going to win that game 163 and send Milwaukee to a one-game playoff in the wildcard game, and I think the Dodgers will win on this. Yeah, you talked about the starting pitching. Yeah, exactly. So I think think you're probably looking at a Dodgers-Braves matchup, and then a Chicago Cubs against the winner of the wildcard, which will either be Milwaukee or... Colorado. Um, like I mentioned in my rundown of Milwaukee, I think that they're in trouble in a wild card game. I just yeah. don't think they have that horse, and I think that uh, if Freeland is the one that's going for Colorado, that I think he's probably got a pretty good chance of shutting Milwaukee down and moving on. And then I would go Chicago Cubs versus Colorado. I'm going to pick the Cubs. I just think that they're so deep. <laughs> trying to win a a series against that team is just going to be really, really tough. And I have the Dodgers beating Atlanta. I just don't think Atlanta's quite ready to yeah. to win, but yeah. they're definitely a team that's super young and on the uprise. And then in the uh, NLCS, uh, so I have the Dodgers and the Cubs. I pick the Dodgers. I think that's another series where it's kind of a toss-up. A lot of it's going to rest on... You know, Kershaw continuing to flip the script and show that he can <laughs> prove it in the playoffs like he did last year. So with the Dodgers going to the World Series, and then I have Boston beating the Dodgers in the series, which is a dream matchup for me as well because I'm... It's a I dream like matchup for a lot, of, a lot of TV producers, I think, oh. as well. <laughs> right. But I, I like the Dodgers and, the, and other... I like a lot of the players on that team, so... You know, seeing the Dodgers go up against the Red Sox for me would be a, a great matchup, and I think it's legitimately uh, a, a decent chance with, right? with the two teams. So that's that's my pick, and then I've I've got Boston winning it. All right, Kevin. Um, <laughs> I feel like mine looks much the same as you, other than I feel like maybe maybe. I like Atlanta just because they're too young and they don't know why they should be losing. It's one of those situations. They're too young, yeah. too dumb, so that they shouldn't be winning this game. Uh, I'm going to go Atlanta actually doing the exact same thing you have L.A. doing it and going uh, Atlanta all the way to the show. All the way? All the way to the show. Wow. All right. <laughs> I think the NL is so completely wide open that pretty much any of the five teams could actually get, partly because none of them are great we don't have the Boston to, that would knock all the other ones out. So, much like you were just kind of picking, I'm going to say Milwaukee somehow gets through it all. Maybe they win that first game so they get the five-game series. Okay. And Milwaukee goes all the way through. 
Yeah, no, uh, I mean, either way, I, I feel like... And then whoever, any of them. whoever comes out from the AAL <laughs> <laughs> trashes Milwaukee. Yeah. I think everybody's in agreement on the AAL. It's, <laughs> it's the favorite no matter what in the World Series. You know, unless, unless the matchup is like Oakland against the Cubs or the Dodgers, I'm... I'm Pretty firm on thinking the AL is probably going to win the World yeah. Series this year. <laughs> it might be a situation like a few when Boston won their last World Series and they got through and just the I think it was the Tigers they played beat them four nothing. It was just not a competitive World Series. One, oh, they played them in the in the uh, ALCS. That was when Ortiz hit the the go ahead grand slam and Tory Hunter fell into the bullpen. Cop <laughs> was jumping up and down. I remember it well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it wasn't really a competitive series. Very true, very true. I did see a World Series much like that one. So, that is baseball. Okay, we want to thank Matt for coming on to the show. Uh, it's awesome of him. And coming out with all the notes in the world, holy. Matt <laughs> uh, came prepared. Yeah, he's out of here. He has kids to feed. He's got to go home. So, thank you to him. Uh, we're going to move on now to the NF. L. Kind of an underwhelming week, I thought. Yeah. Not, uh, I not mean, a great batch of games. Yes, there were some blowouts, but it just felt like we, the league is whacking all over the place, but it, it still felt kind of meh. Yeah, I'm worried it's going to be one of those years where there's like 20 teams you don't care about. Yeah, I'm afraid that's <laughs> going to be the case too. Like the best years are when it's like, there's a race for, you know, who's going to slide into, you know, the wild card. And it's a I'm race sure between four the, or five teams. Yeah, the playoff know. races will come eventually. But you hope that you can get attached to teams. You can have strong opinions on teams. And I haven't really developed much yet. So no, I, I feel like a lot of the teams are doing kind of what we thought. You know, Miami was surprising. Uh, they fell back down to earth. They fell back down to earth. You're... You know, your Bucks. wow, they were surprising, and they fell back down to earth. We knew that one was coming. That was yeah. the most predictable collapse around. Yeah, I think they showed through that they were going to be that team after they played the Steelers, because the Steelers were basically throwing balls all over the place, and dudes just looked lost, and then they settled back in and held them to, you know, a little bit of passing yards near the end of the game, but that's when you rush out the end of the game. So, I don't know. Uh, yeah, let's talk a bit more about that Bucks Bears game because that I think it was Trubisky's second touchdown pass. Like, there was no Bucks defender in sight. Yeah, it was just they like, come running into the picture after he scored the touchdown. It, I don't know. Like it's just it seems like not only are they like a really mediocre team, they might actually be super poorly coached as well. Like yeah, I've never been a huge fan of Dirk Cutter. I thought they should have kept Lovey Smith. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's beyond me to get rid of him and then bring in somebody who's, ha, like, we don't really need defense. You need an offensive guy. That's all we're missing. Now you're really realizing how bad that defense is and what Lovey Smith can do. It should be noted, just when you have a guy like Jameis Winston as the face of your franchise, yeah. an idiot who's faced multiple rape allegations, like, this is not the kind of guy... That projects strong franchise. Yeah, and I feel like when you lose your starting quarterback at the start of the year, a lot of guys go, well, that's the end of the season. And then they <laughs> like, oh, surprisingly we're in it, but then something else happens. They're like, well, that's what we expected. Yeah, the they, receivers seem to love Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like, yeah. They, they praise know, him to the heavens. But. It just seems like 
the the it's just it's so shaky and every player is also seems like they're giving off that impression that's shaky you know especially now that Winston is back yeah, I don't think we learned a lot about the Bears, but maybe in what seems like might not be as strong a division as we thought. Yeah. Maybe they have a chance to make some noise. Maybe, maybe, and I mean, maybe Trubisky is the guy, but I don't <laughs> think. I'm not gonna trust it off one game, but man, what a game it was! At one point, he was 18 of 22 for six touchdowns. I don't quite know where he finished. <laughs> and but. it's crazy to think that that doesn't be like that doesn't make you go, "Oh wow, I can't see the wait to see what's next." It's just like. Well, that's the Bucks. The Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> like that's it's just so weird. And let's talk about another team that won big and yet didn't convince me of anything. New England beat Miami, throttled them. But my impression walking away from that game was more, my God, Miami is terrible than yeah. any sort of confidence. Miami in started off hot, 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 and I just I still stand on them not being a good team. And the reality of it is, is the teams that are well coached. Will always continue to improve. And the Patriots are still well coached. Exactly. I wasn't impressed with the Patriots' talent, but man, no. Josh McDaniels can draw up a game plan. Exactly, they executed a game plan. They looked uh, mediocre while doing it, and it was enough to just shake a team to the ground. Yeah, when James White is your big option. <laughs> yeah, like, and, and I mean, I wouldn't count on that. The Dolphins are so. Yeah. was terrible. Yeah. The offense was terrible. At one point, I don't know where they finished, but late in the game, they had 15 yards rushing. Yeah, it's just not the the best situation uh, to be in there, talent wise. But also, I don't I don't know if what was it Adam Gase or Gase? Yeah, or is, yeah, Gase is their head coach. Is is that really helpful there as well? I mean, yeah, I don't have. Like, I don't have any negative feelings towards yeah. him, but I don't have any strong positives. Yeah, like, it's it. just, he, I feel like he's a middle-of-the-pack right. coach with a team that is below average, and it's performing below average. Yes, they have the ability to be a good team. I just don't think they're going to continue to do it as other teams <laughs> continue to improve. Yeah. And let's finish off, before we get to the wild NCAA weekend, let's finish off with one positive note, I think. Yes, the Los Angeles Rams, led by Jared Goff, oh my look gosh. real strong. That 70-yard touchdown to Cooper Cup was... <laughs> yeah, who the heck is Cooper Cup, right? <laughs> no, Cooper Cup is unbelievable, man. This a hard-working kid, and he just turned, and like he looks off, and he looks back, and he's like, Cooper Cup's open, and he just drops a dart in there. Just, just yeah. right in the hands, doesn't break stride, just... Walks in the end zone, and it's crazy how well Goff has improved. Yeah, I've always believed in Goff. I told you at the beginning of last year, I, I'd take Goff over Wentz. I think he will one day be the best quarterback in the league. He's not there yet, mm-hmm. but um, I, I love him. I love where he's going, and I think you can take advantage of him when he's cheap, because that makes such a difference in today's NFL. Oh, a hundred percent. It's it's crazy to even to see how quickly he's improved because the first year you're like eh, I don't first know was a mess different coach you know different coach sitting different and then the next year you did well really well like I don't say he's obviously showed to that potential to be the best player in the league but now as he keeps going 
you can see why he was drafted so high. You can see why you thought he would be, you're thinking he might be end up being the best quarterback in the league. Yeah, like he's got the the Carson Palmer level beautiful arm, yep. but I also think he's got, maybe not quite Peyton Manning <laughs> crazy pocket yeah. presence, but I think he's got excellent pocket presence. He does, he really He's not does. fast, but he's got enough, maybe not quite Aaron Rodgers level, but enough to get out of the pocket and make a secondary play, and I think he's gaining the confidence where... He'll keep his eyes downfield when the pressure comes, which is such a big deal for NFL quarterbacks. Oh, 100%. Um, I guess we can have one more. We have one more football NFL thing before we slide over the NCAA. The Ravens did beat the Steelers. Well, that just happened while we were recording. Exactly. Just popped off right literally when we were talking. Uh, The Ravens beat the Steelers 26-14, making the Steelers 1-1-1. And my prediction is slowly coming true. <laughs> I just... The Steelers uh, are a bit of a mess this year. Yep, and it looks like they're looking to trade um, our holdout player of the year. So, the main rumor I heard this week was to the Dallas Cowboys. Um, Does that make any sense I don't. I think that's a weird rumor. I think the one rumor that made uh, a little more sense... Was him going to? I think it was either the Redskins or. Um, Peterson's played well, but you'd certainly see him falling exactly. off. Exactly, like it, it's it's something that occurs to you a little more so. And then the other team, I'm gonna brain fart on who it was. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll take a peek here, but uh, it, it seems like making a move makes the most sense for them. He's not gonna play. You better. You're gonna have to pay. Big dollars to make them really show. And you saw James Harrison come out and say Le'Veon Bell should show up uh, the first week he has to to count it as a year. I think that's week 10. And then immediately say he's injured. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, Now, my problem is is that it's weird how every player is like, oh, it's a business, it's a business, it's a business. But as soon as it's affecting your season, it's like, how dare he? Yeah. How dare he and do that? It's been especially strong with Le'Veon Bell. Like, you expect to, but normally players stand up for their teammate, and there's been very little of that, and that's really strange. Yeah, very, very strange. And I don't know. Like, what do you do with that? Uh, yeah. You just wonder. I'm so confused to this thing altogether. But, um, I don't know. I just don't know at all. The Packers, I think, were the other team that they were talking about him possibly going to. If I trust it, like, I'm starting to think that Aaron Rodgers won't be healthy this year. You're right. If I was somehow, if someone could convince me that Aaron Rodgers would come back good and healthy, I'd say, why not? Yep. Because... You're wasting Aaron Rodgers' career at this point if you're the Green Bay Packers. So anything you could do to try to... They need, they need a consistent runner. That's the one thing I would say. Is Ty Montgomery still their main... I mean, I mean Ty Montgomery is a converted receiver. Exactly. Like, it's so weird to think that they're just like, oh, well, Aaron Rodgers will do it. It's just crazy to me. Like, you need to do something different and hopefully... They make that move because it would make sense and it would take a lot of pressure off Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, especially in cold weather. Exactly. Yeah, Jamal Williams maybe, but basically, yes, Ty Montgomery still running the show there. Exactly. That's not great. Okay, um, we'll slide over to the NCAA. Who do you want to start us off with? 
I think the biggest story this year is the Clemson Tigers. I know they're your favorite team, but I think they're the best story as well. Yes, they are. I mean, they have uh, your quarterback switch that happened, like we I said would happen. Yep. That big, tall, Practice strong. Him. I just feel like he has something special going on there. And then all of a sudden, uh, Bryant decides to transfer. Of Which, course. with these new rules, he'd only played four games. You can't blame him. Nope. He, I mean, you got to get out of there and try to make it what's best for you. Um, he's not, I guess he didn't want to do the battle, which is fair because he is a young kid. Yeah, and he's got legitimate NFL aspirations. You're yes. Not, it's going to hurt you if you're spending the rest of the season behind that true freshman yeah. on the bench. 100%. So what you're going to see now is a team that is, um, you know, really strong. And it looked to be the case, and then all of a sudden, uh oh, Trevor Lawrence. Trevor gets Lawrence hurt. gets hurt. He stumbles into a hit. Looks like he gets knocked almost unconscious. Uh, they take him to the locker room. He does not return to play. He tried to come back. He wouldn't let him. <laughs> yeah, he did. You know, he's a competitor. All the competitors are. But it's better to be safe than sorry when it comes to concussions. <coughs> we'll go with, um, you know, Bryce and Holy. Bryce does a great job to keep him in the game and carry it out to the W. Yeah, they seem to have a problem with Syracuse. But in the end, last year's six-string quarterback went 94 yards on the final drive. It's a, It's got to be a little bit fluky, but a win is a win, and if Clemson goes undefeated, they're in the playoffs. So exactly. That's, uh, the, that's the big, big story, big headline. Exactly. Big win there. I mean, I don't know what you do now. Hopefully... Hopefully you can, you know, get it going, hopefully. But, I mean, who knows? Like, it's uh, it's a real tough situation altogether. So, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, I mean, strength of schedule says you could still make it. Uh, your schedule isn't that strong. But, I mean, they, all, they are still, they were still the number two team at the start of the year. So, you have to think they stay in the top four if they win out. Yeah. Even with Bryce at quarterback. Especially with the reputation they've built up over the last several years. I don't think they'd fall out unless they really give voters a reason to make them fall out. Exactly. And then you get you get Lawrence back healthy and then hopefully continue on from there. Um, I guess that's kind of all I have to say about that one. I don't know. I don't know. There's it's a lot so crazy. less hope in your voice than there was at the start of the season. Well, I mean, it's tough when you lose a player uh, who's your quarterback, even if he is a freshman, and then you have to roll with a, a backup quarterback. It really does. doesn't matter who the team is now. Your team is in a situation. Yes, your defense is going to step up. Yes, you have the talent to do that. But, a, you know, a six-string-a-year-ago quarterback makes you wonder. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But he, I mean, there's so much talent on that team that they were able to pull it off. So that's very that's true. A good sign. Uh, but the question is, is that is, yeah, how long is Lawrence out for? Yeah, concussions. I mean, you exactly. Really know. You know generally, I mean? like whether they should be or not is up for debate. But generally, they tend to be just a one week injury. Exactly. So um, I mean, but they can also be. We saw Sidney Crosby out for. So Sidney Crosby ended up <laughs> having a broken neck, but. Yeah. <laughs> To be fair, but I mean, I don't know. You can, you could be a year. It could be, you know, two months. It could be a week. It could be a day. So I don't know. Yeah. 
And let's move on to some of the wilder games of the week. I want to start with West Virginia, Texas Tech. Specifically, I want to talk about Will Greer and his 370 yards on... He made it look easy. Yes. <laughs> I th- is, in my opinion, he's the Heisman leader at this point. Yes, you would have to think so at this point. Um, he's doing everything right. He's scoring a lot. He's doing good things. Uh, it is, it's remarkable to see a kid that young doing such amazing things. Yeah, when he went head-to-head against Alan Bowman, the uber freshman from Texas Tech, he destroyed him. Eventually, he got injured, and their backup led a nice comeback, but man, Will Greer looked impressive. Exactly. I mean, uh, you'd have to think right now he'd be the number one for the Heisman. If he does win it, yeah, that's maybe one thing. Maybe but... Snell, but yeah, we're still early, so you don't know for sure. Exactly. But it's always a nice, I like the <laughs> track of it. A little should be number one, yeah. So, I mean, we'll go with definitely that one being the case. Okay, we're going to start it off with OSU now. Um, uh, they beat Penn State. Yeah, four versus nine. This is clearly the marquee game of the week. Yep, and... Uh, Wow. I mean, the, the fourth quarter, two scores to overcome. Yeah, Penn State looked like the better team for the most of the game. Trace McSorley had an amazing game running and passing the ball. Yeah. But despite having a two-score lead with only about six minutes left in the game, Penn State wasn't able to hold it off. Yeah, I mean, uh, you have to credit that to uh, probably being having the better coach in that situation now that they have Mr. Fisherback from his suspension. Meyer. Uh, a Meyer, yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm in my head, <laughs> Texas Tech. So. Uh, I mean, having uh, a Meyer back from his suspension, uh, whoever, that, if you deem that to be enough time or not. Yeah, whether he should be or not, he is back, and he is, he is one hell of a football coach. Exactly. Uh, hopefully he makes better decisions in the future. But, uh, wow, um, just unshakable confidence in those kids. Yeah, and the talent level, like it was clear in those last six minutes, the yes. talent level was just so different. Like Penn State, no, Ohio State drove down, scored, and Penn State had a decent drive and were able to punt them down to like the three yard line. Yeah. And then just the very first play, a handoff to the running back goes for like 40 yards, dances right up the middle. Yeah, you know, and the reality of it is, is that number one, their O line coach, unbelievable. So I should <laughs> give credit there. But um, just. They, they believe they could win at any moment. And that is all yeah, a big credit that's a good to. point. A lot of teams facing a comeback like that would just say, all right, we'll come back next week. I mean, with the Urban Meyer, the, the, their kids are all in on listening and believing in him. Um, you know, he is, he had those kids at another level at that point in the game. And that's really what those great coaches do. And Wow. Ohio State, with the talent to do it, makes a comeback of a lifetime. Right? You can argue how many teams can legitimately win the national championship this yeah. year. Whether it's 6-7, we'll talk about that later. But Ohio State is definitely one of one the teams you throw on that list. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, good on them. And uh, Penn State, uh, they're hoping to win out the rest of the year and maybe squeeze back in. Yeah, you got the Big Ten championship game. They bounced back nicely from that close game against Appalachian State. Yeah. They gotta be feeling like they're not gonna be feeling good today, 
But a week from now, they probably feel pretty good about this game, see what they can do coming up. Exactly. Okay, uh, we'll slide over to Notre Dame and Stanford, which... Yeah, this is the game I was talking about. Do you throw Notre Dame after this? I was not... This is another game against high-ranking teams. Yeah. Do you throw Notre Dame on the list of potential contenders? Because, man, did they look impressive against a very talented Stanford. I feel like potential contenders on the lower end of that spectrum. Maybe a playoff contender, but not so much a championship contender. Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe they squeeze into the playoff, but I don't think so. They are a super capable team that did a great thing in that game, but I don't know. I just don't have the faith in them, and I guess I never really have, to be fair. I like their quarterback. I'm, is it Wimbush or Wimbash, something like that? Yeah. He, was, he strikes me as the kind of quarterback where you put enough talent around him. Like he's not going to drag a team all by himself, but he's yeah. the guy who can really harness talent. And honestly, in the last game I watched, I didn't see much of this game but when i did watch them play i didn't sense a lot of talent around them yeah but if it's growing it's notre dame theoretically they have talent i think he's the kind of kid that can that can make it happen exactly okay um we'll move on from that one real quick so we can talk about jake browning yeah i don't think either of these teams really had a we're not talking playoff contenders no but i just want to talk specifically about jake browning Exactly. 23 of 25 against a top 25 ranked team, in this case BYU. Those are video game numbers. <laughs> yeah, like uh, two incomplete passes. Like, really? Wow. Yeah, like, That's like maybe... Mahomes. <laughs> <Yeah, exactly. laughs> right? Like, like, you see Tagovailoa going crazy numbers, but he's playing UL Lafayette or whatever he exactly, was playing. Exactly. This was against a legitimate team, legitimate defense. Wow, I mean, that's an exciting thing, and I mean, what does that say for their team now? Are they... I don't believe the Pac-12 is very good. They've already got that loss to Auburn on their schedule, so I don't think we're talking about it much as championship this season. No, not at all, but does that put them in the rankings? Do you rank that team now, or would you rank Well, they were ranked. Uh, Washington is still ranked, because their only loss is to Auburn. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, very true. So I think they were 17 or something like that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, but I think the bigger story is if you're a fan of maybe an 0-4 football team this year, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan or an Arizona, well, <laughs> I, those are bad examples because they just have quarterbacks. <laughs> but a terrible team that doesn't have a quarterback. Yeah. I think you should be really interested in the Washington Huskies and Jake Browning. This yeah, year. exactly. And I think if I'm going to say real quick on what you just said, I think Arizona would be fine. I don't know about the Bills, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, you have to think if you have a if you're in need of a quarterback, that's Jake Browning kid. It might be a surprise kid that just showed up on your radar. Yeah. All right, I think that's it. Unless you've got some other NCAA stories you want to cover. No, I think that's it. And right. wow, uh, holy baseball! I'm so glad we had him on because I know basically nothing about that sport. If you couldn't tell. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I know a little bit, but it's nice to get uh, someone who knows a lot more to give, <laughs> give insight that we simply couldn't buy ourselves. Yeah, so thanks to Matt for that. Uh, we'll probably have him on again because that preparation is unbelievable. So, yeah, we were already talking before he left about uh, potential offseason and free agency moves. I think he's excited about what could be a big baseball for offseason, exactly. <laughs> so, hey, awesome.
awesome. Thank you for coming on. Maddie, where, you know, hope you're at home nice and safe. Tuck the kids in. And, uh, you know, awesome again. There, Charles. Another good show. So, all right. Take it easy, people. Thanks for listening.